This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Tom Wheelwright. Tom is the author of Tax-Free Wealth, a book in a Rich Dad series. He's also one of Rich Dad, one of the Rich Dad advisors uh, to Robert Kiyosaki. Tom is a tax specialist. A lot of people hate paying so much money in taxes, and Tom is the guy to teach you how to get the best bang of your buck, how to, how to use tax deductions to your advantage, how to, how to basically uh, keep more money in your pocket rather than giving the majority of it to the government. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Colin. It's great to be, uh, great to be with you today. Great. So, Tom, for people... You know, who are not, I mean, I'm familiar with you. I'm a big fan. But for people who are not familiar with Tom, you know, uh, how did get, how did you get started on your journey to becoming a successful entrepreneur? Oh well, thanks for asking. I actually spent uh, uh, after I got my master's degree at University of Texas, I spent 13 years in um, in big accounting firms and as a tax advisor for a Fortune 500 company. And it, it finally dawned on me that. Uh, Geez, you know, I, I see all these other uh, accountants who I know are not, you know, a better accountant than I am, and they're out there and they're doing really well with their own business. I thought, you know what, maybe it's about time. So it took, I'm a slow learner. It took me 13 years to figure that out. Uh, but once I did, I, I also was slow in figuring out how to do it. I, I started with um, two clients. And I decided, you know what, I can build this from scratch. And, and uh, it, after the first nine months, I, I'd done so well, I had doubled my business. So I had four clients and uh, figured that I wasn't going to be able to sustain that for very long if I was only, uh, if I only had four clients or, or went from four to eight the next year. So what I did was I actually got, um, I got out there and learned that, gee, you can buy an accounting firm. What a, what a novel idea. And that people will lend you the money to do it. I actually had a variety of people who, who loaned me the money, including the seller. And uh, I went out and bought an accounting practice. And uh, from there, once I had that accounting practice, that was foundation. I've, uh, for the most part, we've grown uh, organically. So that was about 21 years ago. And, uh, you know, once we had our foundation, we were able to develop marketing. And because we look at taxes so differently from the rest of the world, it's pretty easy to distinguish yourself when you're um, out in that blue ocean instead of uh, feeding with the sharks and the IRAs. I definitely want to talk about uh, some of your challenges, Tom, because uh, for people, uh, if you're not familiar with Tom, uh, you know, I'm quite sure, you know, if people are familiar with uh, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, definitely, uh, you know, you as well as Josh, as well as uh, Darren and Ken, you know, you know, basically, that, that's your foundation. And, and it's, it, is a, it is an excellent example of, of a great way to teach people the four quadrant, the, the four groups of people in society who, who generate their income. So I'm curious. I mean, people already know the challenges of being an employee. People already know the challenges of, well, actually, maybe not. But 
what was some of your specific challenges, Tom, as far as maybe kind of going from that S quadrant to the B quadrant? Well, well, for, for, for first first challenge was going to the S quadrant. I mean, that by itself was a, a major challenge because I had to learn how to sell. And I think that's the biggest challenge for anybody starting out is if, if you can't sell, and in fact, I'll tell you, the very first uh, new client that engaged me when I was uh, starting out, I, I asked him why he engaged me. He said, well, I've never seen an accountant at cold call. He said, it was, it, it, to me, it was just fascinating that the accountant would get out there and cold call, and I was uh, just willing to take a chance on you because you did that. And uh, I don't recommend cold calling except as a, as a learning experience. It is painful. Um, but I'll tell you what, I did cold calling for nine months. I mean, that's how I went from two to four. So, uh, but I learned a lot. So I, I really think that learning how to sell, certainly, I mean, this is what Blair Singer, one of the other rich advisors, teaches. Is He says sales equals income. And uh, I certainly have learned that. I took a lot of sales training. And I, I think that's number one. Number two is is you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And uh, I I could have I think had I spent more time with mentors and people who had started accounting firms and really gotten some instead of you know doing it by myself, going out there and and getting a team and asking people, okay, how'd you start your accounting firm? I would have been far better off spending that first nine months talking to people, uh, accountants who had their own accounting firms and asking them how they'd done it than uh, knocking on doors uh, trying to find clients, frankly, because I think I would have found out that um, buying an accounting firm for an experienced accountant, I mean, I had 13 years. I, I'd been in the national office of one of the big four accounting firms. I mean, I had a, my pedigree was great at that time. Uh, a bank would have loaned me the money. Frankly, I mean, it, it, anybody, uh, it would have been easy for me to go out and I could have acquired a much bigger firm if I'd wanted to. And I, I, I started real small and a lot of that was just because I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and I think that I would have spent a lot more time with, uh, with mentors Great. had I uh, had it to do over again. And that's key, Tom. I like how you talk about you don't know what you don't know. And that's kind of uh, what they would call unconscious incompetence. And uh, that's really that's really the way we learn, you know, from unconscious incompetence to conscious to uh, to uh, conscious incompetence to conscious competence to unconscious competence. And for most, and for some people, they may people may just be like, "What did he just say?" But uh, but that's actually kind of the ladder of learning. I kind of like how you uh, underline that, and that's really important in our way to uh, become more. Uh, more of smarter as far as uh, finding our paths and having more success and and as yourself uh, uh, you've been you've you've been an expert of helping people to be able to uh, make the most of the tax deductions keep more money in your pocket how did you get into that was it was it more so uh, I mean obviously you started accounting but did you thought that you was going to be the traditional guy that gave traditional tax advice, or was you kind of, or or at that time, did you know Robert and you kind of already was planning on going in that direction? Oh uh, uh, no, I, I met Robert. I, I only met Robert 15 years ago, so I've been I've been doing this for 35 years. Um, I, uh, you know, I've never been the traditional accountant. It's not in my makeup uh, to be to be traditional. Uh, what I found when I was in college was that I I always liked law. Um, I don't like lawyers. So, uh, my my I'll tell you a quick story. So so my uncle, 
um, I had a conversation with him one time uh, when I was uh, younger, and he said, you know what, uh, he always uh, uh, respected so much about my dad, his brother, was that he'd raised six successful children without one of them being a lawyer. And uh, he hated lawyers, absolutely hated them. But, uh, you know, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I was, I'm, I'm just naturally uh, talented with numbers. Numbers come really easily, easy to me. And so it was a natural fit for me to do tax because tax is a combination of law and numbers. Um, but I've never looked at, I've never looked at the law um, traditionally. A traditional accountant, an accountant is a linear thinker. And they'll think uh, A to B to C to D to E, right? And um, I'm not. I'm a nonlinear thinker. Well, the tax law was not written by accountants. It was written by uh, attorneys and politicians. Well, they tend to be nonlinear thinkers as well. So the tax law is a very nonlinear document. And what most people struggle with is that they think that, or, or most accountants struggle with anyway, is that they say, well, here's what this law, you know, this provision says. I'm going, well, but you, you, can't, uh, you can't isolate that provision. You have to look at that in conjunction with every other provision and how the whole law works together. So what, what I've really spent my life developing is a way to look at the tax law, and that's what tax-free wealth is about. It's a different way to look at the tax law. It's understanding what the tax law is really there for and how it really works together. Because once you understand that, how, once you see the pattern and you see how that pattern works, then you can apply that every day to reduce your taxes. It's not, it's not very difficult. Great. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. Tom, educate the audience. You know, this is election season and people are kind of, you know, for one side or the other side and one side saying, you know, you know, let's tax people up to 75 percent. You know, the other side saying, you know, let's keep tax. I, I, I think I think a lot of people are passionate about certain issues, but they're not properly educated on issues like taxes. You know, you know how, you know, how people can basically make the same amount of money just like everyone else if they be strategic in taxes. Perhaps you could perhaps you could break that paradigm down for the audience well yeah I mean the, the, the first mistake people make is they think that the tax law is really about raising revenue and it's not I mean that's one purpose but it's actually a fairly minor purpose of the uh, of the tax law the, the primary purpose of the tax law, I mean, if you look at it the tax law is about 5,800 pages um, that's just the internal revenue code itself that's not regulations rulings anything else so it's a pretty hefty document it's two, two solid books small print um, when you look at it, it's only about 30 pages of a raised revenue. They, you have one line that says all income is taxable unless we say it isn't. And you have about 29 pages of charts and tables to tell you how much to pay on that income. But then you have the other 5,770 pages that's really more, uh, uh, it's a roadmap or guide to reducing your taxes. And the tax law is nothing more or less than a series of incentives. Um, primarily for business owners and investors, but it's incentives for a lot of people. For and, and all you have to do is look at the policy. If you want to, uh, you, you can look at it two ways. If you want to know what the tax breaks are, look what the policies are of the government. 
Okay, so for example, if the policy of the government is for you to get a college education, you're at an accredited university, you're going to get a tax credit for attending, right? There is a, there's a tax credit. It's called the American Opportunities Credit for attending college. That's a, that's a policy that is enforced or encouraged through a tax benefit. Um, if, you know, if, you, if, if the policy is we want you to drill, uh, we want people to, uh, we want to encourage people to invest in oil and gas, to drill more, you know, to produce more um, domestic oil and gas, uh, oil and gas in the U.S., then the, the government gives an incentive for that. Okay, go out, and if you'll invest in that, the government will give you a, a, tax, a huge tax deduction because we're going to share that risk with you because we know it's risky and we know that probably without a tax benefit, you might be pretty hesitant to invest in uh, in oil and gas. And so they give big tax benefits for it. If they want you, um, you know, one of the uh, policies of the government uh, right now is um, uh, alternative energy, so solar and wind. Well, so what do they do? They give big tax benefits and tax credits to encourage people to do that. But that's all the tax law is. It's just a series of those um, policy initiatives, basically. And the, the other side you can look at is if you want to know what the policy is of any government, just look at their their taxes. And you can know exactly what their policy is. I mean, you look at Australia. Australia, they have a challenge. They're, they're an island, well, te technically a continent, but they're, they're an island in the middle of nowhere. And so their biggest challenge is population. So they get big tax credits for having a bigger family. Okay, that's just their policy that's, uh, that, that's that's driven through their tax law. So once you understand that, then you start. Then, then you can start looking at the candidates, for example. And you say, okay, what are their policies? What do they care about? Okay, well, so you have Bernie Sanders. So what does he care about? He wants to redistribute income. So what does he do? He, he talks about putting a 90% tax on, on people who make a lot of money. That's a redistribution policy. Okay, if you look at uh, a Ted Cruz, he, you know, he wants to simplify. The, the tax law. So, you know, he, he keeps saying he wants to get rid of the IRS and, you know, good luck with that. But <laughs> he wants, you know, he wants, so what he's actually suggesting is a value added tax, which, by the way, I'm not opposed to a value added tax. I actually think that we need a value added tax in the U.S. But, um, but that's his, you know, that's kind of where his policy goes. Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton are more in the middle. They're more like, let's keep with what we've got. Let's just, you know, make some changes to it. So it's all about, you know, how do you understand the tax law? Uh, you know, the, the, the challenge with a, a Ted Cruz and saying we're going to get rid of the income tax is now you've lost your, your primary mechanism for driving policy. So how are you going to drive policy if, you're, if you don't have the tax law to do it? Because it's been found to be very, very efficient and effective um, driver of policy is tax benefits. Like if you have an employee and you want that employee to do something, you give them incentive. You give them a a bonus or a spiff or something like that, right? That's how you that's how you get them to do something. Well, the same thing is true with government. They they want you to do something, they give you a benefit. And the the most efficient way to do that is through the tax law. Our guest is Tom Wheelwright. Tom is the author of Tax Free Wealth. He's also one of the Rich Dad advisors to Robert Kiyosaki, one of the sought after experts on tax, how to make the most of your deductions, and how to keep more money in your pocket. We were just talking about uh, the tax law, and really, when people look at it, you know, it's not it's, it's not so much oh the tax law is for this person or that person. Really, the tax law is available to everyone. It's just are you applying incentives or are you not? And I think a lot of people, uh, you know. 
they have challenges because may, maybe they can't make the most out of the tax incentives because maybe they're stuck in a quadrant. If you if you're familiar with the cash flow quadrant, they're stuck in an employee quadrant, which is not very uh, tax incentive friendly. Perhaps let's start there, Tom. Uh, what are some incent tax incentives for employees? Well, I mean, the big one, of course, is the 401k, right? 401k, the IRA, because that's an incentive to put money away tax deferred. That means you're postponing the tax. You're not eliminating it. You're postponing it at, to a later year, to, to when you retire. Uh, that's actually a, a, the government's plan for you to retire poor. And that's really what it is. The government's plan for you to retire poor, because the only way that a 401k makes any sense is if you're going to make less money when you retire than you did when you were working because um, you're going to have fewer tax deductions otherwise and you it actually pushes you into a higher bracket um, to, to defer it to a later year but it, that's pretty much all you've got when you're an employee so you know you've got that there there are some social policy uh, benefits like you know um, college education uh, deduction for dependents there's adoption credits I mean there there's there's still a number of benefits that you can take advantage of if you're an employee. You just don't get the big ones. I mean, the big ones are reserved for the investors, the active investors, and the and so, the businesses. So pretty much the average employee, you know, let's say you're making, who knows, let's say $12, $15, $25 an hour. Uh, you, a really is not going to be able to even make uh, make the most of something like a 401k or something like an IRA just because they're not making enough money. Uh, probably, would you say it's accurate that it'll probably probably maybe a high paid executive someone that makes a hundred thousand dollars a year if they if let's say if they wanted to remain an employee it, it will probably be in a favor of high executives to kind of use a 401k or IRA strategic yeah I, I, I get that I, I I'll, I'll be honest I, I'm not a fan I'm not a big fan it's, it's just maybe the only thing you've got okay because um, the, the tax law is hev heavily favors those who produce more Okay, it favors the producers. And when you think about, um, if you look at the cash flow quadrant, you have the employee, the self-employed, the big business, and the investor. And what you can look at is how many people do those people serve, right? How much do they produce? An employee only produces what one person can produce, whereas a self-employed person might have four or five employees, right? They're just a small business. So they're gonna produce more, okay? So they get some more benefits. When you go to the big business, they produce, you know, they, they, they produce hundreds and thousands of jobs. Well, so there are going to be more benefits because they produce more. And when you get to the investor, well, that's where you're raising capital. That's where you're building, you know, uh, uh, apartment buildings and commercial buildings and you're investing in gas and you're doing those kinds of things. Well, well now you're producing an enormous amount and, and you're helping an enormous number of people. And because of that, the tax law favors you even more. So, uh, you know, we, we uh, Robert and I put it really simple. If you're in the E quadrant, you're probably going to pay a tax rate somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% when you include Social Security taxes and, and state taxes. In self-employed, it actually can go up if you're not careful. It can go up as high as 60%. You go over to the uh, business side, though, you're going to be down around the 20%. This is why um, Warren Buffett, you know, pays a lower tax rate than a secretary. The secretary's in the E quadrant. He's in the B quadrant. So he's paying 20%. She's paying 40%. Then if you get down to the I quadrant, you can get to zero. I mean, we, we have a number of clients that they pay zero because they're very active, sophisticated investors. 
And it's not because they're dodging taxes. It's just because that's the way the tax law works. I mean, it favors Absolutely. them. And uh, kind of going into that, and if you've listened to the show long enough, you know you know my book, are Reaching the Finish Line, and where I try to help both people, people kind of in the E quadrant, people who are in the S quadrant, and even, even mention some aspects of people who are in the B quadrant. I think the misconception, um, Tom, is what you just talked about, how people say, well, okay, I'm an employee, I'm getting taxed 40%, but see, this self-employed guy is getting taxed up to 60%, so why should I start a small business if, that, if I'm going to be getting taxed more? So I think that's the misconception that people have as far as wanting to start you know, a small business. But, uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, what, if, you're, if you're strategic, uh, and a lot, of me- a lot of these methods you discuss uh, in detail in your book, if you're strategic about it, uh, you won't be taxed up to 60%. You could be taxed lower, perhaps even lower to 40%. Let's talk about some of the other tax incentive benefits of a person that's in an S quadrant, self-employed, small business. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. So it, it's really a function of, of how you set your business up as to what tax bracket you're in. Because you're exactly right. You're either going to be taxed higher or lower based if you're in the in the S quad, if you're self-employed or a small business. So you can be taxed a lot lower than the 40% if you understand you know, the tax benefits that are available to you. For example, the, the, the one tax benefit that most people do not take advantage of, and usually it's because they've been told not to by their tax preparer, uh, it's shocking, is the home office deduction. There, there's a very clear deduction in the Internal Revenue Code for an office in your home that you use exclusively for your business. Well, you can have a side business. Doesn't have to be. You can have a full-time job and have a side business and have an office in your home, and you get tax benefits for having that office in the home. What, what a lot of people don't don't recognize who are who are uh, full-time in their their um, business is that that home office deduction can actually increase their automobile deduction because once you have a home office, you've just eliminated your commute and commute is a personal expense. It's not deductible. So once you eliminate that commute, now a lot more of your auto expenses become deductible. So home office deduction is is one of the big ones that people don't um, take advantage of. And normally it's because they've been told that it would raise a red flag with the IRS. And and just a, a, a quick comment here. Any tax preparer or tax advisor that tells you not to take a deduction you're entitled to because it raises a red flag, all that means is that they are afraid of the IRS. And if they're afraid of the IRS, that means that they know less about the tax law than the IRS. But let's think about this. Who wants to work for the IRS? Seriously, you have to be crazy to want to work for the IRS. It's worse than being a psychologist. <laughs> yeah, I was hearing, I was hearing, uh, Tom, that um, the IRS is so understaffed, and really, uh, it's it's even it's even kind of hard for them to uh, get a grip on everyone, just because they don't have enough staff to do all of the work that they have in supply. Well, they don't, and and a lot of that is budget. But but think about who they're hiring. I mean, let, let let's say you go to a good school. You get a master's degree, you're an A student, really you're going to go to the IRS where every day you have to go to somebody's, to, to somebody's office um, or, or talk to somebody that hates you, that, that absolutely can't stand that you are talking to them, they are scared to death of you. Is that really what that A student's going to do? No. So who, who do they hire? They end up hiring yeah. C students. 
All right. So here's my point. If your tax preparer is afraid of the C student, what does that make them? Is, is are they a D student? You know, do they not understand the tax law? I mean, I'm I'm telling you, I I handle IRS audits um, from time to time. We don't get a lot of IRS audits because we're very good at at, at uh, preparing tax returns in such a way that we don't get IRS audits. But I'll handle it. I'm working on one right now, and. I don't have any issue with it. I know for a fact that I have more background, I have more experience, I have have more training than the IRS auditor. So why am I going to be afraid of the IRS auditor? I, I know more than they do. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, is a, is a is an NBA basketball player going to be afraid of going up against a high school player? Of course not. Okay. If you are a high school player, and you know, let, let's say that you're not even a high school player. Let's say you just play on weekends. You know, you're 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 Joe weekend basketball player. You go up against a good high school player, you're gonna you're gonna be in trouble. So you just want to make sure that you have the right people on your team. That's all it is. Put get the NBA player on your team. Don't don't go hiring some, you know, some some, some Joe uh, who is afraid and, and of the IRS. that's why most of the people who work at the IRS don't even fully understand the tax code. Oh my heavens. I, I, I had an audit once that um, we had a, a difficult issue and uh, we were going through this issue and it, it's, it's one that I'd spent years studying and, and she said, well, I know all about that. I said, really? She says, yeah, I went to an eight-hour class on that. I'm going, are you kidding? I've been studying this for years, right? And you had an eight-hour class. So th there is a th – th th and they can't. I mean they, they just can't. They can't hire the top people. Uh, the, the, you know, you, you know, how much would you have, I mean, they couldn't pay me enough to be an IRS auditor. There's no way I would, I would ever do that. I just don't like going to somebody's office and having them go, man, I don't want you here. Definitely. I, I, I would advise, I would advise my audience. Hey, if you need tax advice, save yourself the trouble, you know, and don't call the IRS, but rather call someone like Tom. He's definitely a person that can educate you much more and specifically how to uh, optimize your tax deductions and how to keep money in your pocket. Let's hop over to the B quadrant. Um, Tom, let's talk about some tax incentives in there. Oh my heavens, there, there's just, uh, there's a myriad of them. There are employment, there, there are uh, tax credits for hiring uh, certain employees, there's employment tax credits. I think one of the big ones that they just um, made permanent was the research and development tax credit. I mean, that is a huge tax benefit. Um, it's a uh, it's a credit. So the difference between a credit and deduction, as you probably know, Cal, is that a credit is dollar for dollar against your taxes. So if you have a, a research, research and development tax credit of ten thousand dollars, you get ten thousand dollars back from the government. I mean that's a dollar for dollar. Whereas if you've got a ten thousand dollar deduction and you're in a forty percent tax bracket, that's only worth four thousand dollars. So a credit's always better than a deduction. And the research and development tax credit, I think, is a huge tax benefit. Um, for employers, a another one is you know they buy equipment, um, they improve their office. They you know all a, a lot of their a lot of their expenditures. I mean the big deal with business is you get to deduct your expenditures. It's kind of like um, we talk about the the typical taxpayer versus what we call a super taxpayer. And a typical taxpayer, what they do is they get their money, then they pay tax, and with what's left over they pay their expenses. But what we call a super taxpayer, and this is a typically a business owner or, or, or professional investor, they what they do is they get their money, then they pay their expenses, and then with what's left over, that's what they're taxed on. So you end up in a you end up getting a deduction for most things. The, the reality is is that there are very few expenses you have 
that could not be deductible in the right circumstance. I mean, there are a few that are never deductible. Bribes, kickbacks, never deductible, okay? Lobbying expenses, never deductible. Cruises, by the way, never deductible. But most things, for example, meals, uh, entertainment, um, travel, uh, all these things can be deductible, your home, they can be deductible if if you're operating a business. So that's why that's why business owners get, um, they really do get the, the majority of the tax benefits. Agreed, agreed. And, you know, for, for, for all of the, the four quadrants, you know, people are welcome to kind of stay in whichever quadrant they want to. I know a lot of it is, you know, people are searching for, you know, security, certainty, kind of comfortability. Uh, you know, some people, they're not as risk averse. They don't like taking risk. And, hey, you know, I'm not a person to judge anyone. Everyone makes their own decisions. And if they want to be an employee for the rest of your life, well, again, you know, I write in my book. There are some options, but at the same time, uh, you have to look at the country you're in. You know, so I, you know, so for for, for you know decades, the U.S. has always had tax tax uh, tax laws tax incentives that favor the rich. Now, but if you look at a country perhaps like Norway or a country like uh, uh, Finland, uh, their uh, their tax laws favor employees more. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm, oh, really? I'm going to okay. beg to differ you a little bit with, with you on that. Absolutely, I have traveled all over the world. Um, speaking with Robert and uh, every country I go to there are more benefits for business owners than there are for anybody else so while they may have more more incentives for employees that there there may be more but there I've never been to a country never seen one in in, in and I've, I've been to every continent except Africa which I'm going to this year um, and uh, Antarctica of course but um, of all the all the country I've been to there's not one that did not favor the business owner well, and you're investor. you're the expert, Tom, so I'll definitely defer to you. <laughs> All right, so as we come to a close, Tom, um, how can people follow you how can they get, or how can they get in contact with you? Uh, best way is go to uh, our website, taxfreewealthadvisor.com, taxfreewealthadvisor.com. You can al also call us at 866 866-467-5809, 866-467-5809. Four six seven five eight zero nine eight six six four six seven five eight zero nine, and we're happy to to talk to you, help you in any way we can. Um, uh, certainly, uh, recommend starting by reading uh, Tax Free Wealth because it is a different context. It's a different way to look at taxes, and if you're going to reduce your taxes, you have to get education first, and um, and that's why we we, we spend so much time at Provision Tom, Educating. Thanks for being our guest. Hey, thanks for having me, Callen. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at CNN Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.